everybody. Welcome to episode 104 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I'm one of your hosts, Sashia Dumont. I'm another host, Mr. Paul Robinson. And I'm very excited today because we have a guest on a our guest. show. Yes. Who are you and uh, what do you do, sir? My name is Aleem Hossein. Uh, I'm the writer-director of the sci-fi movie After We Leave, which uh, just dropped on Amazon Prime. Nice. Yeah, we saw this we film. We did see this. I saw it first. I think I might have messaged you after I saw the trailer. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I was just like, all right, I got to I got to know what's going on. And then I saw the um, the no film school article, which we'll get to. Um, I actually saw that first and didn't make the connection because I, you know, I scroll no film school every couple of days just to see what's going on. Um, so it was it was an impressive body of it was an impressive achievement just on the face of it. Mm-hmm. And then once you start, my favorite thing is to look at when I see films like this, to look at, you know, uh, what was the budget? What were they, what were, what were they, what were the condi- the things most people don't care about? You know, like, what was it like shooting? Like yeah. they, what camera did they have, you know, and, and how many people were on set? And generally when you start diving down that rabbit hole, you find some pretty extraordinary things. And I feel like that's the case with this film. Um, so tell us a little bit about, I guess, how it all started, like how this, the film started. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, first of all, I am glad that you go down that rabbit hole. Like I feel like one of the reasons that I have wanted that I actually enjoy talking about the making of stuff uh, is that my hope is that because we did it with very modest means, it's inspiring to people, especially with sci-fi. I think there are a lot of filmmakers out there who don't think they can do Mm -hmm. sci-fi. To be honest, they don't feel entitled to do (laughs) sci-fi. And I feel like they really should. Like it's been the domain recently, at least of like, you know, just big budget Hollywood. And so, yeah, I love talking about this stuff. Uh, But, you know, I, I didn't really set out. My starting point was not like, Oh, how do I make the cheapest film possible? Honestly, I knew I was ready to make a feature. I'd made a bunch of shorts. I'd done some web stuff and it was time for me to sort of, you know, jump to sort of, you know, bite the bullet and do that. And uh, it's funny, I can go back to this notebook where I was brainstorming and I had these like three ideas <laughs> and, and, and one of them is the one that became after we leave and it's circled. And I look at the other two now and it's 10 years since that day. I look at the other two and I'm like, Dear God, thank God I chose that one, not the other two. Because, <laughs> like, one of them basically ended up just being exactly like another film that got made and got made faster than mine. And the other one, I don't like anymore. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of lucky. I'm lucky to have chosen an idea that over this long haul, I still like, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. enjoy and find meaningful. But, I mean, it really came to me, to be honest, like, I was sitting in traffic on Wilshire Boulevard. And uh, I was at a red light. And in that w- weird creative way, for some reason, like this guy's face appeared in my mind and I didn't even know what, what it was. But the question that I knew was being asked was, has he changed? Mm-hmm. And so for whatever reason, I just knew that here's a guy, I think he's looking at his wife. And I think the question is, has he changed? And that was like the kernel of like this emotional journey of like, can we change? You know, the movie is about this guy who mm-hmm. had walked out on his life and has come back mm-hmm. ostensibly. Um, and I, I, I wanted to explore that. And to be honest, the more I started writing it, the more I realized I kind of have a bone to pick with like the typical depiction of flawed characters who sort of like decide to learn a lesson. And, and, and really, it's that what happens in so many movies, these extremely flawed people somehow like learn a whole ton, magically change and get everything they want. I mean, that just happens over and over again in movies. And right. With this film, I wanted to explore something different. That's not my particular experience with change. I don't believe people can't change at all. Right. But I also kind of feel like, you know, it's a little messier than that. It's and not a little that less black up. and white. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so that was the core. And you know, I mean, I think you'll notice like that none of that was sci-fi yet, right? That was just sort of the emotional core of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then for for whatever reason, like I realized that I, a great way to express that and put sort of some time pressure on that and make that have stakes was another thing I was interested in was, you know, I'm, I'm a mixed race, uh, you know, American. My dad is from Bangladesh. She's a Muslim immigrant to the country. My mom's, mm-hmm. you know, from here. She's a Roman Catholic girl from New England. But, you know, this whole half of my family, the Bangladeshi side has dealt with, visa quotas and, you know, the issues of coming from a very poor place to a very rich place. And I knew I wanted to tell that story, but I've never really been someone to like, I wasn't going to go to Bangladesh and tell it in this sort of like earnest cinema cinema verite way. Mm -hmm. I wanted to transpose it to an American context. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so those two things merged, like what if the second chance this guy is trying to get and what if the journey he's on to show if he's changed or not is tied up with these once in a lifetime moments to get a lottery ticket from a very poor place to a rich place. In this case, to leave a rundown earth, to go to supposedly a better life on these off world colonies. Mm -hmm. And so those two things merged and then I was off and running and that was the the origin of the idea. Yeah. I think that's the, the, the beautiful thing of, of genre films, but sci-fi in particular is that it really gives you kind of um, room to, in my opinion, most good sci-fi has, uh, you know, something that they're, some the story message. they're telling. Yeah, yeah. Some, some great, great yeah. message. And for me, it's like the best of both worlds because you have this really great story. If you took away all the sci-fi stuff, it's still a great story, but then you're just putting in this cool, shiny package to get, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like you came for the visual effects and you stayed for the story. And um, that's why I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Like sci-fi is, is one of my, you know, yeah. it's just a really fun thing. And I think your, your film exemplified that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the like in to to a point that you had made um a film that did that that I kind of left confused was um Three Billboards in Ebbing, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it was obviously like a, a really well-made yeah. film, great cast and actors were crazy. Mm-hmm. Like you have an amazing cast. So I, yeah. I already know I'm getting top notch from these, from these actors and it's going to be a beautiful performance, but you know, every time we watch something, we usually, uh, when we used to be able to go to the movie theater, <laughs> Yeah, <Yes>. I remember <laughs> those days, um, you know, it was always like the ride home of like, so what did you think? And how, you know, we yeah. would kind of like start picking things apart. And I said, I just can't seem to get over the fact that this character would be that deep into his racism and like this. Yeah. I'm supposed to have morally redeemed this guy and I still yeah. don't like him. Like I just yeah. felt like yeah. they they tried to fix the issue too fast. Mm-hmm. Um and I just thought there's no way. There's you know somebody who's got a tinge of ignorance Maybe one experience mm-hmm. might push them back into where you know but a guy when somebody is to a point of throwing someone out of a window and having little or to no care as to, you know, what repercussion that's going to have. I can't believe that a letter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, all of a sudden I, I don't have an issue with black people. You know, it's like, that's amazing. To me, that comes from this idea. Like I think too many films like think that, what we have to end on is the lesson or the final verdict or the definitive right. answer about this topic. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, I mean, I think a film can be a space to explore it, to question it, to feel it, 
you can express some morals or some ideas, your opinions, but I feel like in some ways, like it's very rare to me that I see a film where I think, man, they definitively answered that question and I bought it. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, right, like, right. like I'm much more comfortable in the space of, yeah, let's raise some questions. Let's explore it. You know, what is it, you know, what's complicated about it? And I think, look, you can, the other extreme is also not good, right? You can get to a point where you just, you say nothing and you just throw questions left and right. But I do think there's this sweet spot in between, which is to raise topics, to explore them, to admit uh, that they are hard to answer, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and, and that's the kind of stuff that right now, at least I'm I'm interested in doing. Yeah. And, and letting your audience make the decision for this. You know, we're not at all against ambiguity, in endings of films or whatever, but I think everyone's so obsessed with that, with that, <laughs> with arcs, you know, everybody's got to have an arc and they were bad and now yeah. they're good and, and, or vice versa or whatever it is. And to your point, yeah, I think like, you know, you don't want to leave it too open-ended. So you're like, what the hell was I did? What, what even happened? Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It's I, a I just fine love line, that. especially when you write something. Cause I know sometimes I'm like, I know because I created this character, I know what happens, yeah. but Am I spelling it out too much? Am I not spelling it out enough? And that line is always yeah. where I either like uh, people are with me or they're like, what? <laughs> when, our, you know, a film ends and they're like, yeah. I didn't get enough answers. And it's and you never want to be like pandering, you right. know, so it's like because every so often somebody gets it. And so then yeah, I think, exactly. well, so now do I dumb this down for the lack of a better term? Do I dumb this right. down? And, you know, sort of like start destroying the integrity of what you had there because most people won't get it because I'm okay with like a quarter of the audience getting it. I'm still fine with that. <laughs> like, That's definitely been my approach, which is to say, like, I feel like the the big tentpole movies are honestly doing such a good job of being for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say with the exception of the fact that I still think we have a lot of strides in terms of like the representation on screen. But like, yeah. they are trying to appeal to like all kinds of viewers, mm-hmm. right? And so given that that's the terrain they're trying to conquer, my attitude has been like, I'm not going to fight them on that front. Like, I'd rather, like you're saying, I'll make a movie that I think some people will really get. And, you know, I've been seeing that in a way that I think I didn't quite realize. Now that we're at the release phase of it, like, I get, you know, emails or I see some of the comments online. And it's really interesting for me to see, like, when people get it, they're so excited about it. I think because there's less of that kind of movie out there. Yeah. Yep. And the, and the trade-off to be honest is I think some of the negative reviews, some of the negative comments that I get are just plain like, you know what? Everyone, some people don't like a film and that's awesome. That's fine. But sometimes I'm like, Oh, I see. Like this just what this film wasn't speaking to you in the way that you want a film to speak to you. And I find that those viewers though sometimes equate that with the film being bad. And the more right. I go on, the more I look at films, I think, you know, like, gosh, I don't even know. Like sometimes I think back, like, that film that I thought was no good was I just not understanding the language it was speaking in. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Because there's a there's a big difference between a bad film and a film that like we watch stuff all the time and and you know every aspect of the film the cinematography the writing the editing the direction all that stuff is great but the film just didn't talk to didn't you. yeah didn't didn't yeah. work for me and I think you know too many people will take that and say oh it's just bad. Yeah. Well, what's bad about it? Oh, it's just, I didn't like it. it. Was it was just not a good movie? And it's like well. You know, it's that's there's it's not it's this black and white kind of answer to it. It's like it's either a good movie or it's not. And it's like, well, it's a great movie, but it 
just wasn't for you, and that's fine. There's plenty of people that'll watch our stuff yeah. and be like, oh, that, that I didn't get it. I, I that's not for me. <laughs> it's like that watches yeah. funny. Our stuff says yeah. that. Like our, our, I, I had this. Our latest film, this, The Final yeah, yeah. Sign, which is uh, you can watch the trailer on Set Three Productions. Uh, <laughs> Shameless plug. But it, you know, it has a very ambiguous ending, mm-hmm. um, and if you don't get it, that's okay. It doesn't mean that you think we're bad filmmakers or, or, you know, like our friends, you know, your friends are like the worst people to go to with any of this stuff because they're always just like, Oh, we love you. You're great. But for us, we always talk about that kind of unbridled, honest feedback, whether it's good or bad, whatever it is. And I feel like that's the, the, um, the areas of gray that that fills in for you is just so much more helpful than just someone saying, Oh, I loved it. Or I, Ooh, I hated it. You know, for if you're sure. going to tell me you hate my film, then I, I need some bullet points. Yeah. You know, otherwise well, you're you just know, yelling at me from a computer. Yeah. <laughs> where did it, was it from this, from the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I had I, this funny experience where I had this, uh, uh, producer who watched the film, um, wrote me a note and was like, you know, not bad first effort. I think you need to work on your performances though. There were a lot of moments with your lead actor where like, I felt like so much was going on inside him. He seemed like he was so alive, but I couldn't tell what his opinion was, you know, so work on that. And I was like, no, no, that, that was the the point in that moment. (laughs) And I didn't push back because again, that's an example of like, what do people want from a movie? Right. right? You know? And and, and so that's his way of looking at the movie. But I was sort of, sort of remarking to myself like, yeah, this is the sort of minefield you enter when you make indie films, which is, here I was intentionally making a character who was opaque. Now, I think you can fail at that if we think he doesn't seem like he's really alive on screen. Right. You know, that's a failure of it. But if someone's saying, yeah, I mean, look at him, man, he's clearly got something going on behind those eyes right now, and I don't know what it is, that can be the thing you intended to achieve, mm-hmm. right? Right. And yet for some viewers, and again, I don't actually think, I'm not even passing judgment, that's not what they want out of a movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and it's been interesting sort of to encounter that now with my own work. Um, yeah. This is the first time I put a feature out into the world and I'm getting way more feedback than with any of the shorts I did, you know, and and I've, it's been a journey to sort of be like, no, that's the film I was making, you know, and mm-hmm. I think I'm aware of what works and doesn't work about it. And I do want that feedback. And then sometimes it's just, oh no, it's just not the film you wanted to see. Yeah. So jumping off of that, what was your, um, for you personally, what was the process like of going, I mean, I want to get to the cinematography and the visual effects of it all, but I I wanted to kind of pick your brain since you brought it up about jumping from shorts to features. Cause we're kind of, we're, we're toying in that space as well. We've been, we've been been making shorts for about 12 years. Um, Mm -hmm. just because that's what we like to do. Honestly, I really like doing shorts and I like being able to write shorts and I'm now for the first time writing a series and I don't know what the hell I'm mm-hmm. thinking, honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. financially. I'm like, <laughs> what are you even thinking? This is not going to happen. But you know, it's like uh, stories have this and it's so cliche. I know it's so artsy and cliche, but it's like once a story starts nagging me, some of them yep. I can push away. And then some of them are like, no, no, no. Even if you're not filming this, you have to write me now. And I'm like, fine. You know, so I write the story and I shelf it. And maybe I'll come back to it in two years or 12. I don't know. But there's, that's such a big, you know, it, it seems like it's like, oh, well, you made a short, so you just make a feature. But it's a whole other world. Yeah. And it, it goes completely differently. And um, do we know your budget or? Oh, yeah. My, I mean, I made this film very cheaply. You know, it was under $30,000. Um, and about half of that was from Kickstarter. Yeah. Which uh, once awesome. I saw that, I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
Oh, okay, yeah, I did. And, um, and that was the process of me just calling in all the favors I've had, you know, since I moved to LA, <laughs> and um, being, you know, fortunate that my brother is a visual effects artist. Um, although that delayed the movie by many years because he kept getting on big other, you know, he's working yeah. on J.J. Abrams' film and this and that. Yeah. But no, I mean, I mean, my, making the jump for, for me from shorts to features, I kept thinking at the outset that it would all be easier. It's just a matter of just scaling up, right? Like I mm-hmm. know how to shoot a short, I know how to edit a short, write a short, all that sort of stuff. And what I kept being surprised by was um, how, like, many orders of magnitude the complexity increased. Mm-hmm. I found the sh- the shooting and the pre-production, I would say that that, did, that actually is the one exception. Those felt harder just because of the amount of things I had to check off the list of yeah. props and wardrobe. But that, yeah. to me, was the one that scaled up linearly, so to speak, in the sense of, like, okay, it's just more of that. But the thing that was, like, I'll tell you, like, honestly, like editing i've never more visually experienced this idea of like you know the butterfly flaps its wing on one side of the planet and causes a hurricane somewhere else like mm-hmm. i started to honestly get terrified in editing where i was like man i took out this one smile at the seven minute mark did it just change a performance moment and 45 minutes later you know <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, just, like, like these repercussions of like how you're building a character over time mm-hmm. Uh, particularly with my film where it's not a movie where you understand who the guy is in the first scene. Mm. Like he's really an, an additive character. Yeah. But what that really meant was I was really learning like, wow, like this film may only be, you know, 10 minutes, 10, 10, 10 times longer than my previous short. But I feel like the editing was like a hundred times more complicated to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I- you know, I was working with um, my editor, Lori Lavoie Goran, and she like, she would oftentimes talk about how, Another challenge we face is with shorts, I had been used to be able to watch the whole product all the way through, you know, multiple times a week. Mm-hmm. You make a pass on the short, you can watch it that day. And you, you can watch it five times in a week and look at the whole story. Yeah. And with a feature, it's a lot harder to do. Yeah. And so just keeping the whole story in your mind and the editing process was, again, a new challenge I had where, like, you could work on a scene and then realize, I don't really know if that works until I jump back again. Yeah. And watch the whole piece. So I thought that was sort of, again, one of these complexities of like figuring out the storytelling um, on that longer level. But I also really enjoyed it because I felt for the first time I could sort of like explore and that to get to that idea we spoke about earlier about raising questions and exploring things. I had this larger canvas to kind of get at one idea from a lot of different angles or show a lot of different points of view on it. And that I really enjoyed. Did you did you. um hit any snags or anything unexpected i mean most sets do that but i always like to ask that question and not like in a gossipy like haha what went wrong but i actually those are those moments Mm -hmm. that i try to bank for future shoots that i'm like okay remember three years ago on this remember six months ago on that when that happened i have a a google doc that i keep of all those like mistakes to not make next time (laughs) (laughs) i'm happy with i'm happy making the new mistakes what i don't want to do is be there on set and be like God damn it. I already made this mistake yep. last time. Like, yeah. why did I, I hate that moment? But um, I mean, I'll say this, you know, we were shooting on this model of there was really only three or four of us on set at any given time. I was usually running sound. Julie Kirkwood, the cinematographer, was usually operating the camera herself. We were out all over L.A. One of my real goals was, can I make an indie film that does not take place in a series of white walled apartments in Los Angeles? Yes. Right, right. <laughs> can, it, can, can it be out in L.A.? And it's got to look at the future. But even with, you know, my brother is a professional VFX artist. He could do a lot, but I only had so much time and money for him. So where are the places I can find? So like one, you know, that I can shoot in. So like one of the big, like, uh, sort of, uh, like successes I think in the film was 
how wonderful it was to find these exterior locations that could fill in for the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the cautionary tale, which I think was a mistake, was I've learned to not write myself into a corner on certain like institutional interiors. In other words, I had this scene that I was like, I want this to be in like a DMV style waiting room. And it turned out like I didn't have the means to, I didn't have a set. I didn't have access to a soundstage at the time. Uh, it wasn't something I felt like I could really fake in my living room, you know, mm-hmm. like I realized like, why did I write myself into the corner on that scene? <laughs> like, because I can go steal any outside location I want, you know, you can just run up, shoot it. Usually you get out just fine. We shot this movie, you know, we shot so many different places. We only got approached by the cops like two or three times. And most of the times they approached us concerned about our safety. They're like, probably shouldn't be on that median. They weren't even shutting us down. We were so small. They would still, they'd see the camera and fail to realize we were a film shoot. You know, like they just couldn't quite process uh, that. That's what, what we were doing. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. But, um, but anyways, so yeah, but I learned like the uh, certain interior spaces were, were tricky and, and eventually we just walked into the DMV and the, the scene where he's waiting in that waiting room is in a, the part where he's sitting down waiting to be called up it's in the, a DMV, and we got kicked out in eight and a half minutes, but we got the shot we needed. Um, I was going to say, I was like, it looked like a <laughs> yeah, DMV to say. me. Where, where did you actually film this then? <laughs> and then the scene that is actually with the clerk at that sort of visa office yeah. through the window, that's actually just a piece of plexiglass, uh, uh, tightly framed. We're just sitting in a, in a random open room. Gotcha. Um, and with some sound design. But uh, but yeah, that. Th- so that's one of the takeaways I learned. The other one was, quite honestly, like I... I, I, one of my goals for the film was to do some improvisation. Like I really wanted to explore, like, can you bring a little bit of the, maybe not quite mumblecore, but like a lot of the recent, like independent American sort of film, sort of looseness discovery to sci-fi. And so only about half of the film was written. I knew the end. I knew the beginning. I knew some touch points along the way. Some scenes were fully scripted, but some weren't. Uh, and I really enjoyed that process, but I will say that I definitely learned that uh, it's, it has its upsides, which is you get interesting performances, but I would have a better outline going in uh, because there were definitely moments where I hit where I was like, okay, I know where the end is and we just improv a pretty great scene, but now I got to figure out how to get to the next scene. Yeah. And yeah. I think I was a little naive about like how easy it'd be to figure that all out. Um, I wouldn't not do it again. I think it got me stuff that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise, but I learned some sort of stuff about that for sure. Yeah. That was one of the interesting things in the article. I'd read is that you were you'd lower your pages per day to allow that freedom of for the actors yeah. and the cinematographer and, and, and everything. And um, I love doing that, too. I love giving the actors the you know, we have we, we need to get what we need to get to tell the story as it is planned. But there's yeah. things that are going to pop open, you know, happen on set. And I want to make sure to to not kind of, you know, shackle my actors yeah. to if, if they're feeling something or if they're in a moment and they just want to go somewhere just do it because you know i mean look this yeah. you know there's no there's no for us anyway there's no big you know uh you know distributor or anything that that needs it by any certain amount of time I and mean, we we have a budget and we have time but i think if any time is you know likely that we'll have that freedom it's now you know no, I agree. I think that's the. I think I think you're right. Like what you're saying really is like we should think about that as that's one of our advantages, yeah. right? That we have that kind of time. And so you know, this film was like it was a real partnership between me and Julie Kirkwood, the cinematographer, and Brian Silverman, the lead actor. And like one of the promises I made to each of them when we started, I was like, look, I don't have a huge budget. Um, 
But what we're going to do is we're not going to shoot these like in a sprint, like seven days, 14 hour days, finish a feature. We're going to shoot a few hours here and there. And my promise, I said to Julie, I was like, literally like, Julie, like, you know, what is it? What, what, what do you, what, what, what do you need to make this a beautiful film and to do things you don't get to do in other films? And she was like, look, there are certain times a day I don't think look good on the DSLR. Um, and I don't want to shoot, you know, at these times. So we, we literally, I think there's almost no shots between like 10 a.m. and noon yeah. in the movie because <laughs> she just didn't bright. like the light. Yeah. You know, and and honestly, and she also asked like, you know, if she had an idea for a shot, like, could we try it? And with Brian, same thing. He was like, you know, just let me, like, I want to always be able to have an extra take. What right. did you Can shoot on? We shot the film, you know, we shot a while ago. It's on a Canon 7D. Um, and yeah, one I of saw- my favorite things about saying that is that I feel like I don't think it looks like that. You know? It doesn't. And that's really no, yeah. not- no, not at all. Because that's one of the things when I I saw the trailer and then I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that article. And I went back and there's an image there of, I guess, Julie or whoever, the cinematographer yeah. Julie, holding yeah. a DSLR. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I f- feel like, you know, it's it's probably one of the best compliments you can give her is that like this felt just yeah. like a regular, shouldn't say regular camera, but it did not feel like a DSLR at all. And that's, you know, to her credit, like, I feel like she's always, if you look at her other movies, you know, even if you go look at like, you know, some of the big ones, like she shot destroyer with Nicole Kidman and like, Oh, okay. When you, when you see what she's doing or she's, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the pretty thing alone, you know, alone in the house. Like, uh, she's big already on, and my instincts go this way too. Like not everything needs to be lit in the sense of like shadows are interesting, you know, mm-hmm. and available light when used correctly is really beautiful, you know? And, and, and so one of our real goals is like, we wanted to have this like beautiful realism. Uh, and what that really meant was we waited a lot. We would like wait for the sun, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like just the, we, I would scout locations, um, and just go, you know, there's a location I liked. I would drive by a couple times during the week at different times and be like, ah, there it is. Mm-hmm. 4.30 is the best time for that, <laughs> yeah. that location. And then the great thing was we would just show up at 4.30 and do that shot. Yeah. You know, th- there's a shot early, early in the movie, which is just sort of a shadow of Brian coming down a spiral staircase. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things where, like, I was scouting. I knew I liked that highway location. And I just went there all different times. And then one morning, I was on my way somewhere else. I was like, you know what? It was, like, like literally, like, 7 in the morning. I was like, I guess I'm just going to grit my teeth and go over there right now. And I went over, and it turned out for 12 minutes every day, that shadow appeared. That was all. It was 12 minutes. That's all we had that shadow for was. And I saw it, and I was like, okay, we're coming back at (laughs) 7.02. And we did. And I love that shot. It's one of my favorite ones in the movie, you know. And and so and again, like that was there was no like I didn't need to, you know, bring out the condor and get all the lights. Yeah. And the, you know, like what I had to do was have built myself the freedom to be able to wait for that time. Mm-hmm. And, and the real trick to that was we owned the camera. We weren't renting all this equipment every day. We were just small. It was the three or four of us. I mean, so many shots of the movie, we would show up, shoot something and then all go off to our day jobs. You know, um, mm-hmm. and and then sometimes we just shut down. Like, you know, Julie shot a whole other feature at one point in the middle of us shooting, you know. And so she went off for a month and a half and shot that. And uh, Brian and I set that down and like, you know, we rewrote some scenes. And then when she came back, we shot some more. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it, that's, you know, it's something that we've always talked about since we kind of started. is why we started the podcast was learning to work with what you have. Obviously we would love to have the best of the best and, and, you know, film on an Ari and have all these beautiful, I would love that. But I also like paying the mortgage and like not living on Mm -hmm. the street. And so it's like, how do we work with what we have? And, um, you know, I think we actually did see destroyer and, and the one thing uh, that, that 
drove me to it immediately was the cinematography when I saw the trailer. I was like, this is beautiful. And so if you've seen that, you know that this DP is going to know how to work with whatever you give them. Is it the preferred weapon? Probably not. They're going to, you know, if you have a choice, you're going to want to pick the best of the best, but you're, you're talented and you have, you have an eye for a reason and you just have to bring that, you know, in, into whatever equipment you have and make it work. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know, we have photography lenses. When we Mm -hmm. did the last, you know, we did our last film, we were going through the budget of what we were buying. And it was like, yeah, we, the lenses that we wanted were into the thousands, like thousands of dollars. And it was like, okay, I kept saying to him, can you work with the Zeiss lens in photography? Yeah. Can you do And he's like, I can, it's, I just have to work around it more. It's obviously easier yeah. if I have, you know, the most cinematic lens, but that didn't mean it doesn't look good. It just means you have to work your schedule differently and it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. But and I, th- I think what you can get some amazing stuff is when you, you find these really talented people and you're admitting to them that you're not giving them some of the usual tools they have or the level of pay that they have, but as a trade-off, you're giving them a level of freedom they rarely encounter when mm-hmm. they're doing that professional stuff. And that applies to the actors. You know, like, some of the actors, you know, Brian, but also Clay, who plays the sort of main villain. You know, Clay works pretty regularly on television, gets paid way more than the SAG ultra-low-budget deal I paid him. But he's very rarely the main villain for a whole feature, mm. right. you know? And also very rarely does he get to be complicated, He's usually one form of stock character or the other, you know, with with Brian, like, you know, he again, you know, he worked for, you know, we shot over the course of like three or four years on this movie off and on, you know, and he's getting hundred dollars a day. But he also was like he was getting to be the lead in the feature. Yeah. You know, and and even with Julie, like Julie's had a lot of opportunities. But like I would say one thing that she and I we've worked together for years she was really a true collaborator. Like, you know, we created this visual language together and she, I mean, there are shots in the movie that are entirely her creation. You know, she thought of them, she read the script, responded to the story point and said, what about this? And I think when you can offer these really talented people that it's a little bit like when you watch those like old, like, you know, uh, like wushu movies or like the master swordsman or the master kung fu artist, they always get stuck without their weapon or like in a bad circumstance, (laughs) but they can basically, they can break a beer bottle and they're just so good that like that alone can take out the entire horde that's attacking them. The hell with the katana. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. You know, and and I think about that as like, because you just, you're giving these people this opportunity to do this thing they don't normally get to do. uh, And then they just do great work. Yeah. And that's collaboration is so important. You know, I think people want to like, I don't know. I mean, I guess this is everywhere, but, you know, people just want to, like, if you're the director, you, you want to have this complete ownership. And, uh, you know, we don't really work with a lot of people because we can't afford to. But, <laughs> you know, ha- having the collaboration with actors and, and even, like, in our last film, talking through some of the shots with my grip and being like, what do you think? This is my mm-hmm. idea. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. What do you think about this? Or what are your thoughts? And, you know, having that, you know, more, you know, the more minds, the better. But you always have to make sure that you're you know, staying on, on, on the path or whatever, yeah, but collabor- collaboration that, is so important. I found on this movie, I think I wrote this in the no film school article, but I found that like, I was so clear in my head, like the movie I wanted. Uh, but one of my real goals for myself was to give everyone more freedom. Uh, and in the end, and I think this is a truism that you hear, but it's hard to believe sometimes I gave people more leeway, more independence and yet the film I got back 
is closer to the one that I saw in my head than anything I've ever made. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it does come, like you're saying, from that combination of, I think I was able to clearly articulate, like, what do I want us to feel or know right now? I mean, as a director, I would say that's the question when I teach directing too, I always tell people like, for me, like you can boil down the entire craft to what do I want the audience to know and to feel at this moment? Mm-hmm. And then you just, re- you just repeat that every one twenty-fourth of a second and you make a movie, you know, like, right. and I feel like I was able to say that, but then I didn't give people the answer in their own discipline all the time. Like the acting, the, the wardrobe, the cinematography, a lot of times they came back with an answer to achieve that. And then we'd go back and forth. And but I gave a, a lot more freedom. I, I mean, honestly, I feel like I, when I came to filmmaking, my favorite part of the process was editing because I was like, ooh, that's the part I can control everything, you know? And, <laughs> and, I, and I didn't actually like being on set. I was like, oh, the actors have independence and the camera sometimes doesn't, you know. Uh, and now I'm completely flipped. Like, to me, the best part is being on set, mm-hmm. just like discovering something in the moment. I love sort of embracing that sort of like a little bit of chaos, a little bit of exploration, a little bit of uncertainty. And, you know, I, I kind of like, I don't want to be on set without butterflies in my stomach. You know, like I yeah. want to feel like we're on the edge there. And yeah, and like in the end result, something I feel really happy about is that, look, you know, I want to go out and make a better film the next time. But in terms of like that gap of like, you know, you see something in your head and then what does it look like on screen? Mm-hmm. I got close. I got closer than I've gotten before. Yeah. Uh, and I and I think it's not a coincidence. That's because I invited greater autonomy for my collaborators. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I, I love that, you know, when you're on set and, you know, you're discovering things like, oh, I planned this shot out, uh, but it, you know, by accident, I was standing over here looking through the lens and I found this other shot and this is so much better. Or, you know, this shot isn't working like I thought. So now what do we do? And, and then having that like really quick discovery phase yeah that you have to go through because everyone's standing around staring at you waiting for you to start <laughs> shooting and you're like all right uh let me find this shot that i don't know i love that that that's that good pressure that i i enjoy yeah. doing because it's just ultimate create creativity you know problem solving you know and mm-hmm. so when you uh when you had initially started this it wasn't with as much of uh of a sci-fi element to it um but what i really enjoyed the most about this film was the lack of this obvious sci-fi feel that you see in a lot of independent films where people are like, I'm going to make a sci-fi and they throw like every single bullet point. Like we've got, it's like a schematics and they just, they go down the (laughs) list of like aliens, check, floating, check, time travel, check. (laughs) It's like, there's too much, there's too much. And that's what I always, well, not so much the later seasons, but like when Black Mirror first came out, I loved, um, you know, once, once they like Americanized it, it just, it, it fell into that. It fell into that, 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 uh, overproduction. But when it first came out, it was the fact that some of the episodes you were three quarters of the way through and you didn't even know you were watching a sci-fi yet until the end. And you Mm -hmm. were like, Oh, and then you were able to piece things together. And I liked the subtlety in that, um, the, um, when he he visits the gentleman and he has like this sort of uh, the touch screen, the yeah. touch screen, like this very minority report, you know, kind of like deal going on. And that can go wrong sometimes very easily. And it just it was subtle. And so I liked when it's like I'd rather see less sci fi elements done really well than to be bombarded with like, OK, stuff. You know, I just thought like even that that touch board was just really, yeah. really nicely done. And it was really subtle. It was like it's. 
it felt it just felt very organic in that this is right. normal to them in that time. It didn't feel like you were taking in this this visual board and bringing it into a time that didn't belong to yeah, it. I think that's the key right there is like the, it's normal to them. Like, you know, one of the things that both Julia and my brother Blaze Hussein, we talked about a lot was I wanted to make a film that felt like it was shot during the time it was taking place. And so if you think about that, when you, when you go watch a film in the 50s, there are so many things that the camera person in the 50s, he's not adjusting the camera for because that's just normal. You know, like if a car drives by that's a 1947 Ford, he doesn't pan over and zoom in to be like, holy shit, look at that amazing car. Yeah. No, that's just a car, right? Yeah. And But with so many sci-fi movies, you're right, like, you know, a, a schematic comes up and we'll get this, like, close-up insert shot of the amazing hologram or whatever, be like, look at our visual effects. But the truth is, like, I think if you're approaching it from what's normal to these characters and can the aesthetic of the film mimic what's normal to them, they're like, yeah, yeah it's a phone, whatever. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's like, it's not, it's not new to them. And I wanted to do that. Uh, you know, and, and so I always sort of point people to with that touchscreen, like if you go watch Star Trek two, uh, the the second J.J. Abrams one, my brother did a lot of the screens on the bridge. And so I always say, look, he can do big, flashy in your face screens. But we instead we did that touchscreen, you know, mm-hmm. and that was and that wasn't even about limited means. It was about, no, I wanted it to be a little mundane. Uh, like my vision of the world was, yeah, there's some tech. There's mm-hmm. some changes, but honestly, none of it is super sexy. It's honestly like a little bit run down and just sort of, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me is, I think that is like, I, I think sci-fi comes in all different shapes and sizes. Like, I don't think that's the only way to do it. But for me, that was actually, I think one of my real like reasons to make the movie was like, can I make what feels like an indie film in the future? Like if Deborah Granick had shot Winter's Bone in 2050, like that's what I want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of movie I want to make. Yeah, because it has its place, right? And, uh, you know, when you see something like that in Blade Runner, you're like, got it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. This is really hyper-stylized, futuristic thing going on. But um, that that was, I I really enjoy when when people do that, when they just sort of slip that in. Sometimes it's things that you don't even notice until maybe the end of the scene that you're like, oh, wait a minute. There, you know, there's some Mm -hmm. weird floating thing in the back in their kitchen. You know, there's some kitchen appliance that's, that that has not even come out yet. And you're, you're not really noticing it. And and you kind of Easter egg those, those effects. And I thought that That was was one of our mantras. We had this sort of mantra that like with, with very few exceptions, I think one of the opening shots of the movie is like the rockets taking off. But other than that, like we said, if the VFX are the first thing the audience is looking at, we've failed somehow. Like, like it just wasn't that kind of movie, you know? Yeah. yeah Cause then they're not paying, they don't, then you haven't brought them into that story, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, so speaking of visual effects, <laughs> did I hear you correctly in saying that you actually had to pay your brother? What kind of brother is that? Brother-in-law. No, I didn't have to pay him. What we did have to do was I didn't have to pay him. No, he, he was, you know, uh, I mean, again, this is an example of he's worked in all these big movies, yeah. but what he's never really been able to say is like, you see that film, every frame in that film I did, right. right? you know, like, and, and those are my decisions. And so it was less paying him and more like at a certain point when we got a little bit crunched, we, we outsourced some rotoscoping, which is sort of a pretty mundane uh, I, task. I wish I could rotoscope um, <laughs> every single aspect of rotoscoping. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so we, we did that. We did do some of that, but no, mostly what it was about was finding the time where he would have to go work a job, you know, build up some money in the bank account, and then he could take a month off, mm. you know, and work on the movie um, and there was some finishing stuff related to the VFX, just doing getting the color correction done and everything that did cost us some money. Yeah. 
Uh, but no, I mean, he really like like you know like Blake like like Brian and Julie and Laurie, my editor, and Shonda, the composer sound designer. Like, it's a labor of love for him. You know, he he put in so much work because you know I we joke like so often like all of his displays have to be blue. Blue is the color of sci-fi displays in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. you know? like, and so if you notice, our displays are kind of yellowish and brownish. Like yeah. that was just a choice. Like he just wanted to do that. You know. He had a great moment, a great moment of insight for me where there's a scene again in that sort of like DMV like visa office where I was pitching him on what the graphics should look like for the public service announcement about visa forgery. Yep. And I pitched, I showed him an example and he was like, no, 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 no. Have you seen the graphic design at the DMV? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's way worse than that. And so again, like when you see that graphic he did, he can do way fancier if he wants to. But we really were like, let's be honest what would it really look like at the at the bureaucratic visa office, you know, mm-hmm. right now? Yeah. And that was sort of the guiding principle, again, like being part of like why this, how we wanted to make the film sort of unique from other films. It's so true because uh, they're not going to hire the, you know, whatever be in the future for, you know, UI design or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. You look at the, I mean, have you been on their website? Yeah. Recently? <laughs> I mean, like, it's like the, but, when it works, you know, yeah. it's the most basic of basic things. And I, yeah, so that it's a really good point. And I actually didn't even, I didn't even pick up on that, which was probably the point because it just yes. seemed, yeah. you know, I, I didn't think like, oh, that's a futuristic DMV. It just looked like the DMV, um, yeah. which in some parts yeah. wasn't. And you fooled me. So good yeah. job. There. <laughs> yeah. 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 I did that. Yeah. That was, it was. I really, I really liked, good. you know, that, uh, not not to spoil things, but you know, it's just you could have followed this very you, you could have followed the the road to the very typical ending and just given everybody what they wanted and okay, so we find a thing and they go off, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was this like this moment of, you know, almost selfishness at times, sort of driving him throughout. And then in the mm-hmm. end, him having to sort of recognize that. And, and, yeah. and deal with that. And, uh, you know, you can, you can lose people on that alone. There'll be people that just don't like that because it wasn't the ending that they wanted. And, you know, you were following down this certain path and you didn't complete it, so to speak. And, uh, you know, but I always like things like that. I, I like when somebody does not do what you think they're going to do because that's what people do. They're flawed and they change their mind. And, um, what's that, um, Prisoners, Prisoners, that movie yeah. Prisoners. Okay, yes. so we saw that yes. in the theater. It was a great movie, great film, loved it. And, you know, everybody was going through the motions of like oohs and ahs when they should have done all that. And then the end came and people <laughs> booed. And I was like, it was so amazing how quickly this audience turned on 98%. I'm all in yeah. with you. And because the end was not obvious enough for them because it didn't finish the way they wanted it to. It did not close the book the way they wanted it to close. They just turned on it. But that's what I loved about the ending. I loved that it was like, and to me, it was kind of obvious. He clearly heard the whistle. You know what I mean? You just didn't get to see him discover, you know, the, the, this, this, drag him out. Yeah. yeah. Drag him out. You didn't need to see that. It was just this whole, the whole point of the intuition that this, this detective had and how that intuition is what got him to this point. And uh, I thought, Oh my God, you know, we're sitting there. I'm like, everyone's booing. Why are they booing? What's happening? And I thought that's so sad because that movie's great. I loved that ending. It's like those movies where you have, you have two characters going through 
something and then one character needs something from another character and they're faced with that decision and they're looking straight down the at the person and they open their mouth and we cut to black yeah. and now you have yeah. to decide what how, like i don't know there's just something to yeah. that that's so powerful no and i think that there to me there's a power in a certain kind of storytelling but also honestly i feel like it is true to life which is to say i feel like in these stories and in life we go through these stretches of time where we think okay it's going to be a or b is it going to be right. A or B? What's going to happen? A or B? A or B? A or B? Seven? <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> and and the, and the truth is, like, I, I, I agree that sometimes that can reach a level where it is too much. But the truth is, like, I do think that's life. You know, mm-hmm. like, I, I do think that, like, we sometimes think there are these binary choices only to discover, oh, man, like, I was on a different journey than I even knew. Yeah. You know, um, and or, or the implications were different, you know. And so, yeah, for sure, like, in this movie, I knew the audience is going to be thinking, like, is the idea, you know, will he find his wife or not? Right. Will he, will he find her or not? Will he find her or not? And I had a different thing to say about, you know, like, again, and it comes down to, like, I think at, at its core, like, what resonated with me about this character is... I don't know that I like him, but I am fascinated by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and and I I wondered like, is it possible instead of telling a story about a guy who is too bad to be redeemed, or a guy who is able to be redeemed? Can you tell a story about a guy who learns just enough to learn that he won't learn enough? Right. You know, <laughs> like yeah. and 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 to me, like that was an interesting question that I think indie film can do well. Yep. You know, and and, and there are different kinds of questions that I'm very happy. I mean, some of my favorite movies are big Hollywood movies. They do a different kind of question. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, but that to me was like the core of the film I wanted to make. Yeah. And they have their place. You know, I love me a good Marvel movie or Star Wars or whatever, but you know, I I'm, I'm not going to watch a film like yours the same way that I watch one of those. You know, there's just this different kind mm-hmm. of experience for me to 100 and that's not to say that your film's better or their film's better it's just it's just that experience yeah. yeah although your film's pretty good <laughs> Thank you. i appreciate that Thank you. it's a completely day it's a completely different way of watching stuff and and i um i started to learn that as as our friends that aren't really into independent film would watch our films what they weren't yeah. getting about it i was like they don't watch any film. And that's why this is confusing because they're mm-hmm. waiting for like, I need the first, the second numbers, and third yeah. act. I need it to be paint mm-hmm. by numbers. I need you to follow the schematics. And mm-hmm. so they would get, they would, it's like, they would go, I like this, but they didn't quite know why, because it wasn't sort of painted out the, the way they wanted to. There's a whole, there's a whole different way to watch independent films than indie films, especially shorts, because you have to tell so much in yeah. such a little amount of time. And you're trying not to overwhelm unnecessary information because now we're wasting precious time. And, uh, you know, so there's, a, there's a whole other way to watch it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you know, you go into the mindset of watching a film like yours just in an independent film mindset and yeah. you have to go in that way. And, um, I, I actually I really, I actually really liked that you had said that you didn't go with the blue because I noticed yeah. that it yeah. had like an orange look to it. And I thought, Oh, yeah. they didn't do like that blue teal, you know, yeah. that everyone yes. does. Yeah. <laughs> the blue beam from no, the yeah. sky. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I had this professor in film school who, who would make a similar point to the one you just made where he was saying like, when you start on a film, like right then when you start out, you need to lock in your mind what success with your audience will look like. Because this funny thing happens is when we get to the theater or when you get to hearing reviews, despite whatever kind of film we're making, we all secretly just want everyone to burst into applause. 
You know, we just all want that. And he's like, look, you know, if you make a big laugh out loud comedy, then yes, when you get to the end of it, people better be laughing and applauding. And he, and I remember him saying to me once, he's like, look, we, I just shown a short film and I'm not even saying it was a perfect film, but like at the end of it, there was like this stunned silence. And he was like, remember the film you were making. That was your success. Like you were making an uncomfortable, ambiguous movie. Mm -hmm. When the lights came up, people sat in stunned silence that's what you wanted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think that, that we all have this instinct to just want everything, you know, to be one kind of response. And so I feel like I'm trying to learn this idea of, yeah, even sometimes for people who really get the movie, their response will be a certain way because it was a certain kind of film. Yeah. yeah. Success is not linear like that. It just goes in very different directions. And um, sometimes there's been movies that I've watched and it's ended and I've gone, all right, that was good. I liked that. And it wasn't until like a week, a month, sometimes a year later that I'm like, that was actually really good. you know. <laughs> but it just didn't hit me yeah. at that time. Film you were, you're not in the, in the headspace yeah. sometimes to take that information in. And when you start, you have an experience in your life and then you think of this film, you're like, oh, shit, wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really relatable. And I and I get it now. Um, sometimes it just takes a while for Mm -hmm. for someone to really grasp everything that happened yeah but yeah i you know we i'd love the you know (laughs) standing ovation and applause i don't think i'll ever get it but you know i'm okay with that right she was dead the whole time (laughs) everyone stands up clapping it's like ah that's not supposed to be a good thing but (laughs) whatever So are you working? So what, what's the plan with it now? So you have, it's obviously come out and, and, and you, you, uh, you're on Amazon. And so yeah, are you going mean, to you know, attempt this again soon or? For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that um, it, I will say that like I, I, speaking of things that were new with the feature, just releasing it was new. You know, like I, I had made shorts and brought them to a few festivals and put them online, but like just going through the process of like trying to sell it and then managing to sell it. Uh, that was a huge learning experience, um, for sure. And, and, but I'm, because like, that's not a very creative part of the job. I'm now like, I'm super eager to get back into Mm -hmm. the stuff that I really love. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm basically, I'm writing another, uh, micro budget feature just so that I have something that I can make without waiting in the sense of like, I'm going to take a crack. I I think this movie is going to let me get a little bit of financing, for the next thing, mm-hmm. not a huge budget, but I think I'll come up with some money, but I sort of want to have in my back pocket, the, like my sort of like, uh, like plan B or honestly, maybe I'll just do it right away. But once, once things get sort of open up after the pandemic, like I, I want to make sure I don't get stuck waiting. Like, you know, I, in the time that I made this movie, I saw very talented friends of mine wait and almost be on the verge of constantly making a feature, like with a big actor attached or with like a real budget mm-hmm. And, you know, it took me way longer to make this movie than I thought it would, but it's made. And I don't want to get stuck in the, I, I didn't make a movie that's going to suddenly skyrocket me to directing a Marvel movie next week. You know, that's just yeah. not happening. Right. And so I think what I don't want to have happen is another 10 years to go by of like almost. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm writing a, another micro budget. Uh, I am taking out a TV pitch. That is something I, uh, that's new to me um, that I just finished. And I kind of like those parallel tracks where like, I'm going to pitch this TV thing. It's a series. I don't think it's something I could do on my own. Um, I like it, though. I like it a lot. It doesn't feel like a, it feels like very true to me. So I'm going to sort of that's one sort of area, which is like, all right, here's a, a, more, a slightly more commercial idea that I need other people to do. And then at the same time, I'm writing a, a, a I'm, I'm writing a film that I think is 
it's not going to be a, a sci-fi, but similarly to what I did with After We Leave, it's going to sort of play with some of the genre films that I like, mm-hmm. but hopefully, you know, just have my own sort of spin on it, my own sort of take on how to tell a story. Nice. I love that. And, and you know, we're the same way. We just want to like create stuff. Once we finish something, it's like, what's next? Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And, how many festivals did it in? I don't point, know. I'm already people, writing the next film. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. To your point, I think people like can tend to, you know, they would make a film like yourself and then that would be it for five years. Cause they would just be keep mm-hmm. pitching the film for five years. And yeah. to me, that's the worst part. You know, I don't, yes. I'm not a salesman. I don't want to tell you to watch my film. Please watch it. But, uh, I suck at that part. The part I'd like to do <laughs> is to make the thing. <laughs> Yeah. And I, and I think like, you know, especially now, like the, the way indie film is going is like, I don't think there are a lot of these like indie film opportunities that you get given. Right. I think like right. most yeah. of the content is, is self-generated, mm-hmm. right? Like we were, I mean, it, I'm not, I'm far from the first person to say this, but like the middle is gone, right? We have all these like self-produced indie films and we have big budget Hollywood yep. and the stuff in between we're like, Oh yeah, there was a small film fund that was funding million dollars. You know, those are pretty much gone. Yeah. You know? And so I feel like, I don't know that I'm ready to like, I don't think I'm going to leap suddenly to becoming an A-list Hollywood director. And so like, what I want to do is like, just make sure I keep making stuff. Yeah. Uh, because like, he's like, that's what, that's what I want to do. Like, and, and, I hope to make the next one faster than this one. I think I've learned a few things about how to do that. <laughs> but I, but I, I love the freedom I have. Like the other lesson mm-hmm. I've really learned is like, it was nice not having some sort of financier breathing down my neck. Or honestly, even when you get a good backer, like I still feel a responsibility if I've taken someone's money, mm-hmm. I'm going to give them that money back, you know? And like this right. money, like my kick, you know, half of it was from Kickstarter uh, and all pretty small dollar donations. And then half of it was, you know, some money my wife and I threw together. And so the nice thing was like, we had no desperation to get that money back, you know? And yeah. so it meant that like every day on set, I didn't have to make some sort of conservative choice to like save the day and make sure I got a competent coverage of at least the scene, you know, like yeah, yeah. I could take risk, I could take risks and I don't want to lose that. Yeah. Because as I think you were saying, you know, Paul, a second ago, like, I think that like that is one of the assets we have mm-hmm. as indie filmmakers. Like yep. we can take the risks. And so I think I just want to make sure I don't lose that because that's been just the best part of the whole process. Yeah. We um for our last film, um, Vital Sign, which is on Sunday. Oh my god, stop. <laughs> <laughs> um we uh we we figured out everything we needed for the film and I think we had originally scheduled like four days, but then we booked the location for an extra day just to have that, like, you know, because not only did we not want to like rush through everything real quick, but we also wanted to kind of give like, to your point, like give our, our, our talent and our crew time to like breathe, you know, there's, you know, yeah. working on stuff. They're so used to getting up at seven and working till 10 at night. And it's like, well, here's, this is, you know, we're not paying you a lot. We're paying you, but we're not yeah. paying you a lot, but it's going to be fun and it's going to be laid back. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like, that kind of environment just breeds creativity because you're not, uh, I don't know. I feel like we got a lot of good stuff out of them. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's another advantage to that, which uh, uh, I think we don't talk about a lot, which is that I actually think that that grueling 14 hour day, seven days in a row, four days in a row, whatever it is, has another downside, which is that I think it contributes to the lack of diversity behind the camera. Like, I think that uh, it is a certain kind of person who can just pause their life 
and go work 14 hours a day, seven days a week for free on a film shoot, getting the experience, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And that person is very often privileged and single, you know, yeah. <laughs> like and 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 I feel like I had people work on this movie, you know, who had day jobs, mm-hmm. who who came and shot when their kids were in school. They went and picked their kids up from school, you know, who were able to not didn't didn't have to pause working. Honestly, they couldn't pause working financially, but we would just shoot them for an hour in the morning. and They go back to work. Right. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, there, there's something about like we've done this thing where we've scaled down a lot of times indie film ours. What does Hollywood do? OK, just shrink it down. But Hollywood is at least paying those people like a real day rate. Right. Yeah. You know, and we all we can't always do that. And so I think that, it, that it, it's it's important to figure out, like, how can we shoot films in a way to, like you're saying, increase creativity, increase autonomy, take the pressure off, but also realize that literally this attitude of like. The, the way to succeed in film is like you got to show up 14 hours a day like yeah. that in, in and of itself can be a practice that it sort of discriminates to be honest sure you know and, and 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 so i think that like again one of my real goals is even for the second film is to make sure that like m- more different kinds of people and different life cir- circumstances can show up and be a part of it uh if you sort of schedule it a certain way and shoot it a certain way that kind of stuff yeah i think it- we also become obsessed with the shock value of Oh, we filmed in this X amount of time. It's this yeah. like, amazement of we like this guy feature in eight days. Yeah, we shot this in three yeah. hours. You know, and yeah. Yeah. Um, not to take away. You know, a, a good example of that for me is The Revenant. Um, yes, and you look at like, look, I'm, I'm not going to say that. Oh, oh, poor, poor DiCaprio. I mean, he's one of my favorite. Oh, poor DiCaprio that hit. That's a grueling way. You know, it sounds like, oh, I'd do that for the money. It's like, yeah, I'm sure you would. (laughs) But think about what it's like to be plunged into freezing water for hours and hours on end. That is incredibly uncomfortable. And I'm not just asking you to sit in that water and bear it. You now have to stay in character, remember your lines, and do exactly what you need to do on the mark. That's a lot to put a person through. He got paid greatly for it, sure. But... It's just um, it's this thing where we sort of equate success and greatness with how much risk and shock value came along with it. Mm -hmm. That film, uh, you know, I know that they they had certain, you know, limitations and stuff like that. But that's a budget that I'll never see in my life. You know what I mean? And I understand um, that things have to be done a certain way. But uh, I just kind of and look, the the film was great. It's not to say that it didn't work, but we just sort of also we, we kind of. People will read those circumstances before having seen the film and go, well, that's going to win. It's going to win an Oscar just Mm -hmm. because they went through this grueling process. It's almost expected of actors. You know, well, you're paid well, so you're going to be miserable for the next six months. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, well, sometimes you have to, but you don't always have to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think we do draw like the wrong lessons sometimes for that. You know, I mean, sort of a, a related point that I was making in that No Film School article was like, I do think this thing has prop has sort of cropped up in like the discussion of indie film, which is like, yeah, to just marvel at how frugally we were able to mimic mainstream Hollywood. Yeah, and yeah. and I feel like my, my real takeaway has been is like that wasn't why indie film came into existence. Like 
indie film came into existence for a very artistic reason, which was like people wanted to say things Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. weren't being said by the mainstream. And sure, they had less money and that impacted things. But like it wasn't invented to like show off how to do things cheaply. right? Right. Right. It was a it was it was a form that arose from filmmakers who had less means or who wanted to work outside of a very expensive system so that they could say things they couldn't say. Yeah. You know, and and like that to be should be the focus. And what you want to say, by the way, that can be very diverse. That can include comedy. It doesn't have to just be all serious political film. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I, I, but I think that, like, yeah, like to me, like we, we sort of do a disservice. Like the reason, like you're, you, you both were saying earlier, the reason to sort of ask, like, what was my budget and how do we shoot it, is less for people to be like, wow, impressive, and more like, oh, so I could do that. And when you do that, then nobody tells you, oh, that ending is too ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Or nobody tells you, like, that's kind of a touchy political issue. I don't know. You know, like, yeah. you can do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. You don't have, this, uh, you know, a, a, a big studio breathing down your neck and um, having to follow follow that narrative because you're yeah. in debt to this to these people now. And um, that exactly. I guess that's the, the one thing. I mean, look, I'd always love to have more money. For our shoots, I would love to be able to, you know, film for thirty thousand or fifty thousand dollars, and we shoot on like micro, micro budgets. But um, when when we've talked about like, you know, things that other people go through, we are sort of spoiled in that we have all control of our work. I I can't imagine, uh, you know, a studio exec coming to me and be like, "Listen." This whole thing here, we're cutting that out. This character is not <laughs> happening. And I'm yeah. like, what, 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 what? <laughs> That's not how I wrote it. You know, yeah. or you can't, you're not in the film anymore, sweetheart. Uh, we're bringing this person in. And it's like, oh, but we wanted to have all the original actors just come in for yeah. a bigger budget. And yeah. it's like, no, no, no. We gave you the budget and now you have to do it our way. And that's, you know, it's sort of like that, the one for the meal, uh, one for the meal, one for the real thing that you'd have to, I don't, I'd almost rather be like, look, take the script you just go do your thing with it and then I'll, mm-hmm. I'll use that money and make my damn thing. Because once you start tearing things apart like that, it's no, it's not fun anymore. It just becomes yeah. a job and, and, and there's so much sacrifice in it. And so there's, you know, there's the, but the, you know what? I'll do it if it means I can make. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, someone, if I make it into a bigger film and I'm playing just every cliche role that I tried to get out of, which is the reason why I started writing my roles was to get out of those cliche roles. But if you're like, Hey, we're going to give you $200,000 for this part. You're going to work for like a month. They'd be like, fine. Cause I'm going to take that money and I'm going to make my films. Like I, I'm, I'll never trash on somebody for, for doing that. But it's when you see people that start out and they have this really creative mind. And then you see sort of Hollywood just and you're like, wow, remember when they used to make really cool stuff that had a message and yeah. now it's just like, it's like a factory, Yeah, you know, they're just, because now you bought the big house. Well, now you have to maintain yeah. the big house and you have to furnish the big house and you have to keep it. And so every film, they just sort of lose yeah. that, that sort of vision that they have. And that's why, yeah. you know, like There's, M. Night is yeah. the one person I always say, he doesn't always do stuff that I love. Sometimes I'm sitting there like... <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why did you do this to me? But I love that he keeps his vision. That's the vision that he has. And he just, if people don't get it, they don't always get it. They don't always appreciate it. But that's what he likes to do. And I think at the end of the day, you know, he can look at his work and say, that was the movie that I wanted to yeah. make. Yeah, there's this. Yeah. For me, Christopher Nolan is the guy for me that I, I always point to that too, where it's like, again, I don't, you know, I don't even love all of the movies. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you think like the, the you know, he made the Batman movies. Those are obviously the commercial movies. But like when you think about, you know, Inception and Dunkirk, like these are original scripts mm-hmm. uh, that uh, 
you know, love him or hate him are like are not dumbed down. Are are a movie he only he would make, and to yep. me that's the real like marker. Like, did this filmmaker make a film that I'm like, yep, if he didn't exist, that movie wouldn't exist. Right. right. And so I do really admire those people who have figured out like how to do that at such a big level. Yeah. Like I think it is like this rare example of like, wow, like man, you did it. Yeah. Like you're working at the two hundred million dollar level, but you're making a a, a film unique to you. Yep. Um, yeah, I think uh, Catherine Bigelow is a little bit like that too, and you can see it with her career. I think a combination of like her aesthetic yeah. plus just honestly a, a bias against women. Like, like, but she when she gets to make a movie, it's the same way. Like, yep, that movie wouldn't have been like that if she hadn't directed it, you know. Yeah. And so I think you know, in the back of my mind, I do think, yeah, there is a way to do it. It's just a very small sweet spot if you happen to be the kind of person who can make your movie. And it needs that budget, and you can get that budget, and it delivers, but it's also still unique. Mm-hmm. Um, until I figure out that point, I feel like the, what I love—I I would rather not bump up to like the ten million dollar level or the five million dollar level, because I think there you invite all of the outside control, but you haven't really gained much extra. Right. The truth yeah. is, like a, mil- a, mil- a million dollar movie is like the movie I just made with everyone getting paid. And a, and, a, and, and, a, and a star in the you know, in yeah, the, yeah. lead role. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and we don't do anything extra. There's not any more extras. There's not more vehicles. Mm-hmm. Like, we just make the movie I made, but everyone got paid a full rate. Right, right. <laughs> and, and so why do that? Because then you're going to give up the creative control. You know what I mean? And so, like, I think that, yeah, like, to me, like, I'm just going to kind of keep my head down and just sort of keep making things I want to make. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see with how far that goes. You yeah. know? I think I that's like what them. makes your budget so impressive. Sorry, is that... I could shut up. (laughs) No, no one cares. I'm just kidding. Um, Is that you could have easily said to me that that movie cost you a hundred grand or a million? I could have. Yeah, it it only cost us five hundred thousand. I could have. You could have easily (laughs) said you only had a five hundred thousand dollar budget, and that's Mm -hmm. the one thing that always I'm just so scratching my head when I watch stuff, and I'm like. But where did the hundred grand go on that? Like, I'm trying to figure out where it went and not, I'm not trying to be bitchy. I just, I don't understand where the money went on this. And then you find out these little things that it's like, oh, they insisted on filming in this one particular building and the, yes, the, yes, and the yes. permit for that was $30,000 a day. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah. all right. So 20% of your budget went to this one thing that offered really nothing to the story, but you had to have that location. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like, you, you know, that, um, that filmmaker, David Sandberg. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that guy. Cause he, he, <laughs> I love that he guy. did like Annabelle creations <laughs> and Shazam. And now we're under quarantine and he's at home making, making shorts it. with his wife yeah. on like a yeah. black magic camera. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, somebody like that just loves making stuff. And it's refreshing to see that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, we, we definitely look forward to what you're going to do next. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Definitely keep in, <laughs> keep in contact. And uh, we'd love to have you on again to talk about your TV show or uh, your next film. I would be happy to come back. I just I really enjoyed the conversation. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on. So I'll make sure to sh- I'll make sure to link. Uh, your site after yep. we leave site the the article on no film school which is a awesome read yeah we'll awesome try to read. find as many of the actors as well give them all uh, yeah. tag them all in there so um cool thanks so much for being on thank you guys bye, bye. right that was alim yay, yay! guys awesome very very informative yeah he's one of those guys you know you talk to him he reminds me a lot of like richard raymond and that he's just likes an artist yeah you know who likes making things it's easier to find that in in the indie level yeah for sure 
actually, yeah, they can say that for pretty much everybody we've have we have on. But he's a good one. He's a he's a good one. He's a good one. He's a good one. So uh, we'll have all the links to to, to his film, and um, you know, you should check it out. Yeah, and all uh, the links are going to be in the description. So check out all that stuff for show. And just a so, super special thanks for him for coming on. Yeah. Because I had messaged him and then he was like, okay. And then I never messaged him back. <laughs> I got busy. And then he, I was like, he's like, Hello. dropping the ball there. Yeah. But thankfully he followed up because I was so glad to have him on. Okay. So, um, yeah. So that's all. That's all we got going for this episode. Uh, we got some, we got some reviews on another indie film uh, next, yeah. next week. We're gonna, um, yep. So I'm I'm going to I'm going to shout it out now just in case you're like, hey, I need something to watch. And then this way you can have something to sort of uh, reference. Yep. So it's um, an indie film. It's on Amazon mm-hmm. and it's called The Vast of Night. Yes. And it's been kind of like a lot of talk, a lot of talk about this, this independent film. Yeah. I'm actually eager to talk about it. Cause... Yeah. And so if you if you're in the mood for seeing something that's kind of like it's got this sort of alien type of yeah and, uh, like old very old school feel it's yeah. it's um it's a period piece which yep. is always like it was it's what i would call an interesting film that can sound bad though. right so you have to stay tuned next week to figure out if that was a bad compliment Jeez. or bad well we have opinion a, or a we have a rule of not talking about things that we find outright bad so that's we not, already yes, know that's true but we have talked about things like capone that we were not like a huge fan well of. that's only because i'd already mentioned it like yeah. a big idiot <laughs> had to follow through yeah and i don't feel as bad because they can wipe their tears with all of yeah. the money that but they check got it out and then you can pay attention to us yeah or I, you'll be not thinking you should hopefully we'll be paying attention <laughs> but uh but watch it and then you can uh yeah so we're, we're definitely gonna be talking along. definitely talking about that film um and we we've we've been waiting to um to talk about uh oh jesus christ not Jesus Christ. <laughs> been waiting to talk um, about Jesus Christ. I know this much is true. Yeah. On HBO with Mark Ruffalo, as you know, I hate to talk. At, you know, week by week on episodes, I like to just kind of wait till the whole series is over and go for it. Uh, oh my God! Please watch this show if you have not started watching it. Yeah. Um, I've been anxiously, anxiously waiting. Tomorrow, which would be yesterday by the time this airs, mm-hmm. um, is the last episode. So I'm yep. like, right now, I'm just like, <laughs> very excited. And part of me is excited just because, okay, it's, you know, it's the last episode. And, but then another part of me is actually kind of sad. I could have gone a couple more episodes with this. Yeah. Um, I would like to have. I appreciate when they don't overdo it. I don't think there's going to be, I think it's just the finale and that's, I think it's yeah, a, it's a series, series finale. Yeah. So uh, it's, this is it. It's a lot to wrap up. It was so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Even if the if if the episode, if the last episode is horrendously terrible, it was still an amazing series. That's yeah. how good it was. I don't yep. care if they game of thrones it, so to speak. Um I, I it's just so freaking well done. So mm-hmm. please uh if you if you need something well, also warning, you're gonna need probably like a Valium and someone to hug if you're watching this show. Yeah. Uh if you're in a bad state mentally don't watch this one right now. Just yeah. wait a little bit because it will tear you apart. Yeah. <laughs> Just every fiber of your emotional being will be completely annihilated after watching this performance. So um, shout outs 
Reality Bomb Comic Cast, Steady Geekin, Not Up For Debate. Also, Mega Brain Comics is open this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is their their grand opening since uh, all of this nonsense has happened. Yep. The shout pandemic. Out to, to MoGraph. Uh, shout out Mo- to MoGraph. MoGraph.com. And uh, so just tune in. Mm-hmm. Watch The Vast of Night if, uh, if you want to watch something. And, yep. uh, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, do all the things. You do all the things. Bye. Bye. Bye.